So in Jonah chapter 1, the word of God comes to Jonah, and God basically tells Jonah, go east to Nineveh. And Jonah says, no, I'm not going east. I'm going west, all the way to Tarshish. And he gets on this boat. Now, he's running away from the presence of God. He is refusing to follow God's command. He just doesn't want to do anything with God at this point. And what happens? Jonah gets on a boat. He meets a storm. He's thrown into the depths of the sea. He sinks to the bottom of the sea. And he's there, stuck hopelessly. And there, um, he, he, in his distress, in the belly of death, in the middle of this fish, Jonah cries out to the Lord, and he says, help me. And God saves Jonah with a great fish. And the Lord spoke to the fish, it says in the end of chapter 2, and the fish vomited Jonah out to dry land. And once again, God calls Jonah. And look at chapter 3, verse 1 with me. It says, then the Lord the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So the same message that was given to Jonah is given once again in chapter 3. Arise, go, and call out Nineveh. So in this sense, God is giving Jonah a second chance. No, God, he will use a storm if he needs to. He will use the sea if he needs to. He will repeat himself if he needs to. No, when you rebel against God and when you run away from God, when you um, disobey his word and his will, uh, God will do whatever it takes to restore you, to change you, to wake you up in a sense. No, he will allow difficulties in your life like storms or hardships. He will allow you to run away as far as you can just to recognize how empty life is. He will allow you to hit rock bottom so that you can realize that Jesus is the only thing down at the bottom. No, he will shape you and mold you within the fish, not to punish you, not to destroy you, but to restore you. But there's one thing that's very clear in today's passage. God will do whatever it takes to wake you up but he will never change his message. No, no matter how far you want to run away, no, how, no matter how low you can go, the word of God and his will will never change for you. No, Jonah received the same message word for word in chapter 1. And once again, he's receiving it in chapter 3. No, God initially intended Jonah to go to Nineveh to, to proclaim this message. And once again, the same message, same destination. God says, go to Nineveh and declare this message. And God doesn't say, hey, Jonah, since you failed the first time, let me give you an easier task. He doesn't say, hey, let me tweak this plan around so that it will be uh, more, uh, that you can carry out this plan a, a little bit better. He doesn't go out searching for other prophets saying, oh, Jonah, I'll give you a different task. I have someone else for you to take on this task. No, he doesn't change his plan based on Jonah. No, he doesn't change his message, nor does he change his messenger. God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh to declare this message from the very beginning. And you see, despite Jonah being on a ship, being in the sea, being in the middle of the belly of the fish, the word of God is the same, and his plan is the same. God did not change his command to satisfy Jonah. Rather, Jonah needed to change to satisfy God's command. I think a lot of times when we pray, when we seek the will of God, somehow uh, we think that we can change God's plan and his mind. Right? We pursue relationships that are not meant for us. We go after opportunities in careers that are maybe not be meant for us. We make decisions that are not honoring to God, and we run away from his will and his ways, hoping that somehow God will change his plan. But after all this trouble, 
after everything that took place, one thing that is very clear is that God, he does not change. Rather, he is so patient, he waits for us to change. God is still determined to change the disobedient people uh, like Jonah. He's still determined to save the evil lost people like the Ninevites. And once again, when God calls Jonah a second time, this time Jonah responds in a very proper way. It says in verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in, in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, this message seems super simple. I mean, if you just go to a person in New York City and tell them, hey, New York City is going to collapse pretty soon in 40 days, how are they going to respond? This message just seems so simple. No, there's not much to it. But if you think about it, there's really three significant truths that are in this simple sentence. The first thing is this. This command, this message tells us that God is sovereign. God, he is all-powerful, that he controls the course of the history. Uh, at this point, you have to understand that Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, which was the powerhouse of the world. Um, in verse 3, even the Bible acknowledges the fact that this was an exceedingly great city. The word great is used over and over again, uh, paired up with Nineveh. So in the people's eyes, this was a fortress. This was a city that could not be taken down. Extremely great. But we see that to God, this is just another city. He's not concerned about the greatness of the city. He's concerned about the great sin of the city. And because of that, he says, I'm going to tear this down. I'm going to overthrow this city in 40 days. We see that God, he is sovereign. No matter how powerful a nation is, no matter how big a king is, God has power and authority over those things. So God, he is sovereign. The second thing that we see in the sentence is this. God, he is so merciful. And you might ask, where... I mean, where, where do we see the word mercy here? Well, the fact that he is waiting for 40 days, he's proclaiming this message to Nineveh, and he's waiting for 40 days, it shows that God is withholding his judgment. And based on their wickedness, based on what they did, their violence, God could have easily punished Nineveh right at that moment. Instead, he says, you got 40 days to figure things out. You know, out of his mercy, you know, God gives people time to respond, to think about what they have done. God is not slow, rather he is patient towards people. And the third thing that we see is this. God is sovereign, merciful, and we see that he is a missionary, that he is after people. I mean, why would he send Jonah in the first place? Just to make the lives of the Ninevites more miserable so that they know what's coming? No, from the very beginning, God desired repentance, that he was hoping that the Ninevites would get the message out of his sovereignty, out of of his mercy. He was hoping that Nineveh would change. No, and notice that the Ninevites, these were enemies of the people of Israel. These were not the people of God. Yet, God is extending his mercy and his grace to people that are dishonoring him, that are living as if he does not exist. God, he is a missionary that he does not show favoritism towards specific race or specific nations. Rather, he is a God of all people, that he is after all people and all nations. So God is sovereign, he is merciful, and he is after people. In this one simple sentence, we see the character of God and the heart of God being revealed. And when this message is proclaimed in Nineveh, we see that Nineveh responds in a very proper way. It says in verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed and that word believed, by the way, in Hebrew is amen, God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. 
from the greatest of them to the least of them. So everyone in the city decided to go on this fasting, uh, and, and they put on sackcloth, which reminded them of, of this uh, a sorrowful event. They would put these things, they would do these things when they're really sorry for something. You know, the people, they believed in the message uh, that was sent through Jonah. And this word, amen, is the same word that is used in Genesis 15, 6, when it says, Abraham, he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So we see that Nineveh first responds to the message of God with an amen, that, saying that that is true. I agree with that. They believe in the word of God. They believe that they deserve to die. They believe that, yeah, we, that, that a judgment was coming, that they were really wicked and deserved um, God's punishment. However, the people of Nineveh, they also recognized the mercy of God, where God was giving them 40 days to repent. And when God's message finally made sense, they started to fast, they put on the sackcloth, they mourned over um, their sin, which was a very uh, normal custom in the ancient Near East when people were really uh, sorrowful for what they have done. So from the deepest part of their hearts, they are repenting. They are realizing that they really have done things wrong. And when the Ninevites, when they encounter the word of God, the first thing that we see is that the reality of their sin is fully exposed. No, a lot of times we come to church, we hear messages, and we want to be blessed. We want to feel good about ourselves afterwards. But the word of God is not always sweet. There are times when it's really bitter, and that's okay because the word of God is like light, right? It it exposes our sinfulness. God is holy, and we are not. No, God is clean, which we are not. No, God, he is perfect, and we are not. So a lot of times when we encounter the word of God, what happens is our imperfection, our sinfulness, it gets exposed, but for a good reason. Because when light is shined upon you, although your dirtiness is fully exposed, you get to do something about your dirtiness, or someone else can do something about your dirtiness. So don't feel bad when you are feeling, when you're feeling bad after a message, when you are feeling convicted after a message, you know, when you hear a message and you just basically feel like trash. No, a lot of times that's how God wants us to, what God wants us to realize so that we can run towards him. No, God, through his word, he shines light upon our hearts and our hearts are fully exposed. No, if you don't realize that sin is bad news, Jesus will never be good news to you. If you don't realize the sweet, before, if you don't realize the bitterness of sin, you will never taste the sweetness of grace. God, he allows us to hear his word and he allows us to, to see the reality of our sins through his word and see what happens when this takes place. In verse 6, says, The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with a sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh By this decree of the king and his nobles, let neither men nor beasts, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands, verse 9. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that you may not perished. So the people of Nineveh repented. The king repented. Um, He told his nobles to repent. And it's kind of funny, but even the animals are repenting, right? The king is commissioning the animals to repent. Why? Because they're that dead serious about repentance, right? That's how sorrowful they are. That's how regretful they are about their sins. 
And the king, he doesn't just respond in words, but it says in verse 8, turn away from your evil ways. And that is the textbook definition of repentance. I mean, it doesn't get any clearer than this. Repentance is turning away from your evil ways. It's turning away from your sins. It's actually taking action you know, where you understand that the course that you are walking is wrong and you turn towards God and pursue righteousness. Now, just knowing your sin is not good enough. A lot of times we understand our sin, we, we see our sin, uh, but that's about it. We don't do anything about our sin. But the reason why God exposes your sin and he displays how um, imperfect you are is so that you can pursue Jesus and pursue perfection um, out of the grace that he gives you. So when the word of God reaches the king, you know, he comes down to his throne, you know, he takes off his royal robe, um, and before, he was a man who calling all the shots, right? He was the one who was declaring uh, all the rules and, and, and the ways. Now, he's just a mere man. You know, he says, God, I have sinned against you. He sits in ashes. You know, he understands the reality of his sin. He is humbled before the Lord, and he is repenting. And that's the picture of repentance for us, where we come down from our throne, when we lay down our royal robe, when we are no longer calling our shots, but rather we say, God, I have sinned against you. You are right. I am wrong. When we sit in ashes sorrowfully because of our sins, that's when God's grace can penetrate our hearts. And when God's grace comes to our hearts, man, there's not a single heart in this world that cannot be penetrated by his love. And verse 10, it says this, when God saw what they did, what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. In other words, when God saw the people of Nineveh, and they saw, he saw that they genuinely repented, that they were sorrowful of their sins, he withhold his punishment. He, he changed his plan almost. In a sense, the people, you know, because they responded to God in a proper way, their destiny was changed. Their trajectory of life was transformed. And some people might say, well, does this mean God changes his mind, right? I mean, if that's the case, how can I trust God? That means he's not sovereign. He's, if he's wishy-washy like that. I mean, one, in one chapter, he said, I'm going to destroy Nineveh. The next day, you see that he spares Nineveh. But in 1 Samuel 15, 29, it says this, and also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man, God is not a man, that he should have regrets. So it's pretty clear in scripture that God does not regret anything that he does or he doesn't make mistakes in his decisions. Rather, no, he, he, and also he doesn't change his mind based on people's reactions. Rather, out of his sovereignty, he allows people to respond. Right? He gives them the room to respond out of his sovereignty. He doesn't change his decisions based on people's reactions. Rather, out of his sovereignty, he allows people to react he gives them boundaries so that they can respond in repentance. So the big idea, I think, in today's passage is this. God, he gives grace to those who properly repent in his word. God gives grace to those who properly repent in his word. So no matter how wicked we are, no matter how far we have ran away or walked away and walked in our evil ways, God, he gives us grace to believe. He gives us his word so that we can see the reality of our sins. He humbles us he gen- so that we can genuinely repent before the Lord and so that we can turn away from our wicked ways. You know, God's grace, it is deeper than the sins of mankind. You know, God can penetrate the hardest of hearts uh, and 
You know, the past week, uh, kind of what our brother Hangir shared, um, in the evenings, for the first time, we went to this apartment complex where 95% of the people were from India. And these weren't people who lived in America for like 10, 10 years, 20 years. These were people who just been in America for a couple years. And I was able to talk to a couple people over there, and they were sharing how the community is still heavily you know, uh, influenced by Hinduism. And um, I don't know if you know this, but India, it's the second largest uh, country in population, 1.3 billion people, second to China, and yet it ranks 10th in persecution uh, rate, according to Open Doors. Right? There is serious persecution that is going on in India. Missionaries are being kicked out. It is actually illegal to convert someone, uh, to, become, to have them become a Christian. Right? Uh, there, a lot of the extremists, they think that it's okay to just persecute Christians and, 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 just, uh, and destroy them because they are, in a sense, trading their nationality. Uh, Hinduism is just not a religion for them. It's, it's embedded in, 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 in who they are, really. Um, they worship millions of gods. Some people say 300 millions of gods. I mean, a lot of people say we just can't count all the gods because they have so many gods. What was incredible was the fact that each night we had about 150 Hindu kids come out, Indian kids, worshiping God. They heard the message of the gospel. They saw skits where Jesus was dying on the cross and dying for their sins. And there were about 100 parents sitting there because um, they, didn't want, they, didn't, they weren't sure you know, what we were doing with this kids program, so they were there to make sure the kids were safe. And they, too, were listening to the gospel. And I still remember the first day when I first walked into the apartment complex, I was like, oh, man, we're in for some trouble. Really, uh, these people, they have their traditional uh, clothing, uh, they don't speak English. Uh, these are hardcore Indians, right, who are, believe in Hinduism. And, and I was worried. I was worried that, you know, in the middle of our skit, in the middle of our small group, someone's going to shout something out saying, hey, you guys can't do this in this complex. But you know what happened? Slowly, day by day, the kids were having fun. They were enjoying all the activities. They were enjoying the skit, the message. And you see the parents lightening up. They were wondering, man, what is this? I was talking to one guy, he was saying how in seven years that he's been in that apartment complex, they never had a community event ever before. The first community event that they had, it was this VVS. And, and they were so amazed by the fact that kids can have so much fun, that there can be unity among people. And the last evening, um, when we were doing small groups, and a lot of our, our, our team members, they gave an invitation to these kids, 22 kids, uh, dedicated their lives to the Lord, that we were able to pray with them. And I don't know if you think this is small, but there's not many missionaries who went to India who saw this happen in one day. You know, the fact that there are so many people, even around us, you know, even right next to us that have never heard the gospel in such a way, have never encountered the good news in such a way. We have people around us. And the fact that those people were able to change in such a way and they were open now to, to the gospel message, it reminded me that God grace, it is pretty deep. Now, in the beginning, I thought, what could a group of 15 teenagers do and uh, four adults, right? At the best, you know, we would make kids smile a little bit. And man, did I underestimate, underestimate the power of God. Because when we offer what little we have to God, he's able to do far greater um, than we can ever imagine. He was able to work through a reluctant prophet called Jonah, and through his kind of reluctant obedience, uh, this entire city repented. And it's not because Jonah gave an incredible message. 
simply because his message pointed to an amazing God. And this reminds us that you don't have to be the best evangelist. You don't have to have the best gospel presentation in your hands. You simply have to be obedient. You have to be sensitive to God's word. Be willing to obey his word in a proper way. And God can do some incredible things to you, through you because his grace is always deeper than our sins. And some people actually say, well, the people of Nineveh, they were just afraid of the king. And because the king repented, because he was so sorrowful for his sins, and he kind of commanded everyone to repent, that's why uh, they repented. But if you notice in verse 5, before the king ever repents, it says that the Ninevites, they responded to God's message. So it's pretty clear that these people are not responding to their king. He's responding to the king, our God. Now, out of grace, God gives us his word and out of his grace, he allows us to repent, but also understand that his grace and his word always demands, always, always demands a proper response. No, we need to respond by an, with an amen, by believing and by agreeing to his word. No, we have to respond in humility, laying down our throne before him. No, we can't be the kings of our lives, but rather we have to make Jesus the king of our life and allow him to rule and reign in our life. No, repentance is not just simply saying, I'm sorry. And James 1.22 reminds us that we need to be doers of the word, not just simply hearers of God's words. No, the people of Nineveh, they walked away from their wicked ways. They responded to God's grace and his word in a very proper way. And God's message that's given to us is actually very similar uh, to the message that was given to the Ninevites. No, there's good news and bad news. The good news is that um, oh, sorry, the bad news is that God is going to destroy Nineveh. The good news is that they have 40 days to figure things out. In the same way, we have bad news, the fact that God, one day, that he will come and he will judge the living and the dead. And the fact is that not a single person in this world has what it takes to stand before the judgment seat of God, that we all fall short of God's righteous standard. And that's the bad news. The good news is that we have some time to figure things out. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 3, it talks about how the day of judgment is coming, yet uh, one day is like a thousand days to God and a thousand days is like one day. It's not that God is slow to judgment. Rather, he is so patient, hoping that none will perish. But it does say that there will be a day where people mourn because everyone will be judged. You know, God has provided a way for us in Jesus Christ, a way of escape. No, we might have been wicked, dirty, stubborn, ignorant, prideful, no, and self-centered like the people in Nineveh. We might have been uh, running away like the prophet Jonah, but God, he is still persistent that he pursues us with his word. But also notice that just because he pursues us does not mean he's going to adopt to us and change his message. His message and his word, his will for us never changes. He doesn't lower the standard of the Christian life. Rather, he, he changes us and he transforms us so that we can live up to the standard. No, we, he, he transforms us so that we can be conformed into the image of Christ every single day. And the message is this, that Christ, he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried on behalf of us, so, and that he defeated death so that we can have new life in him. This message will always be the same. The question is, will you respond in the proper way? The question is, will the people around you respond in the proper way? There is bad news. Judgment is coming. But here's the good news. We still have time to figure things out. Let's pray.